The Gospel of Luke tonight, chapter number 18, Luke 18, one verse there, verse number 13, Luke chapter number 18, and verse number 13. And when you get there, just say amen. All right, that sounds good. Luke chapter number 18, verse 13, and it reads, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to read that last line again. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. For just a little while tonight, this Bible study thought, complete restoration Complete restoration. You may be seated. Someone comes up and asks you a hypothetical question. What is spiritual restoration and how can I have it? How would you answer them? Someone comes and asks you they've heard about spiritual restoration and they want to know how can I have spiritual restoration. I think for us tonight, first of all, we've got to really truly understand what restoration is and what completeness is. And so before we go any further, I would like to define complete is simply entire, full, or fullness, and restoration being the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Restoration. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul pens these words, and what we are to do, well, Paul says this, I believe we need to go to the Word of God. If we ever have a question, God's Word will certainly show us the way. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is not going overboard. This is not extra. Paul says this is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing. Hey, that's where it's at right there. We've got to have a renewing of our mind, of the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I've come to conclusion tonight that it's not always how much we know, it's what we use with what we know. You know, you can know a lot of things, but if you don't apply it, what good is it doing you? It does not do you any bit of good. I've, I've, I've met people that uh, they're very intelligent. Uh, they've got degrees to prove that. And that's all well and good, but if you don't apply it practically in life, what good does all that knowledge do for you? Not a bit of good. Not a bit of good. But when you take what you've heard, and you take what you've learned, and then you place application, when you begin to apply it in your life, my friend, that is when it makes a difference. And so the apostle tells us that we're to present our bodies. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
We are bought with a price. We are no longer our own, but he bought us with his blood at Calvary, and we must, my friend, remember something very important. You cannot do this with head knowledge. We've got to get this in here. We've got to get this in our hearts, and by doing so, then we are able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Secondly, how is it to be done? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. The apostle goes on to tell us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning of verse number 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. God begins to show us some things when we begin to uh, pray. We begin to seek him. We get filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And friend, then when you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, God begins to reveal some things to this old heart of ours. He says onward, he says, for the Spirit searcheth all things, not just the coincidental things, all things of life, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man. Man's got head knowledge. He, he learns things. He studies things. And he knows some things. But we must realize that there has to be a connection. There has to be a connection. Knowledge by itself is never going to be enough. There has to be a connection. And that connection must be the spirit of man unto the spirit of God. The connection. And so he goes on to say, which is in him... Even the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. You see, it's the Spirit of God that makes a difference. We've got to get His Spirit in us. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Aren't you glad for the Holy Ghost? Oh, I am. I am so glad for the Holy Ghost. Because without the Holy Ghost, we can read the Word of God. And I, and I love the, reading the Word of the Lord. I hope you're staying caught up on your Bible reading. If not, shame on you. Get caught up. Quit being lazy. If you got time to read a novel, you got time to watch something on TV, you better be praying. And you better be reading your Bible. Because there's no excuse. So stay caught up. That was free. Now let's, let's press, press on tonight. So tonight, I want us to realize what's really important. What is really important? The Word of God. But reading it by itself is not always enough. Brother Cameron, you may read it, especially you might be in the begats. And you might lose some interest somewhere. You know, you begat, begat, you read all that in there. and you, Before you know it, you're caught up with begats and then you miss something important. <laughs> you miss something important because you shut it out. We can't afford to tone out. We've got to stay connected. Staying connected is vital. But the Holy Ghost is what helps us stay connected. It's the Holy Ghost that helps us stay connected. And so without that, my friend, we can read this Bible, and it's a great and, and, and an awesome book, the Word of God is. But it's only a letter until we can get it in our hearts. We've got to get God's Word in our hearts. And so that connection's vital. Verse 12, for we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God wants us to know these things. He wants us to learn. He desires that we would study, as Paul said in 2 Timothy, study to show ourselves approved unto God. 
workmen that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But if we don't study how we're going to learn, you can be told things, and that's, that's all right, too. We're, we're all taught by someone. Every one of us are. But don't you think it's time that we do some studying of our own? Don't you think it's time that we begin to learn a little bit on our own? You know, when we have children, and, and I've heard this, and I'm borrowing this phrase. This is not mine, obviously, but I'm borrowing this phrase. You have a child that's born, and when it's born, you say, oh, he or she is perfect. Have you ever said that? Sure you have. But if they're 10, 12, 15 years old, you see, they're perfect when they're born. They can't speak. They can't feed themselves, et cetera, et cetera. They get 10, 12, 15 years old, and they can't do none of that. Well, it's not quite so perfect at that point, is it? And I'm not being critical. I'm just making a point here. Our walks with God's the same way. We start out as babes, but we shouldn't stay babes. We should not always be babies in Christ. We should grow. How are we going to grow? We got to get the word in us. We got to apply the word. We got to experience. We got to test waters. We got to get out there. And until we do, we cannot and will not ever grow. And your experience becomes stagnated. You wonder why it's hard for you to pray. You wonder why it's hard for you to stay close to God. I'll tell you why. Because you don't get this in your heart. You can read it, but it's not enough to read it. We got to get this church in here. We got to embrace this word of God. And we begin to embrace it and get it in our hearts. It changes us. It changes us. And so this complete restoration is ultimately really getting God's word within us in true and full application. And so the apostle reminds us in 1 Corinthians that we just read the importance that God has given these things to us, but we've got to reach out there and get them. It's not always going to be something you're just going to get. It's not always free. You've got to work for some things. I realize you've got to work for it. You've got to work for it. Too many people want it handed to them. It don't work that way. Not with God. If you want handouts from God, my friend, you're going to be empty. You might find the generosity of someone. But if you want God's blessings on your life, you're going to have to take and apply. Apply. And we're talking about true and complete restoration. You've got to have a want to. You've got to have a want to. Let's press on. I want to ask a question. To be able to figure out any kind of a problem, to be able to come up with any kind of a true answer, we must oftentimes start where? This is not a trick question. Where do we start? I'm waiting for one word. Right there. The beginning. you got to start in the beginning. If you're going to find out and get an answer, you got to start out where the root is, the very beginning. And then you build from the beginning. That is your base. That is your foundation. And so in the beginning, we realize that, well, in the beginning, things were perfect, weren't they? We read in the Scripture that Adam had been placed in a garden of perfection. The Garden of Eden, the definition, a place of great happiness and unspoiled paradise. That Eden was an unspoiled paradise. It was perfect. Think about that, Brother Parker. Didn't have to go to a job. You just got up every day, took your stroll through the garden. Yeah, 
I think I'll have a banana here. Oh, pineapple's looking pretty good. And you just stroll right on through and you, and you just pick and eat and, and, and go on and everything is peaceful. No problems, no trouble, uh, no headache. You didn't wake up with a headache. It was perfect in the garden. It was perfect. And that's the way God intended it to be. See, when God's involved, it is perfection. When God is involved, it is perfect always. But the problem is, we're flesh. And the problem is, this world is far from perfect. And the reason why, well, it's simply because man, he disobeyed. He fell from grace. He sinned. And because of that, this first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, the mother of all living, were put forth from the garden of paradise. No longer to have things made and handed to them, but now they would work, and now they would suffer. They would know pain. Some of us know some pain, don't we? They would know grief. Some of us know grief. They would know loss. They would know loss. They would experience things that otherwise they never would have if they would have stayed obedient. Shouldn't that be a lesson to us tonight? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Shouldn't that not be a lesson to us tonight that when we obey God's word that we're going to have peace of mind? You may not have peace all around you because there's turmoil in the world. There's problems. And we're in this world. We're not of it, but we're in this world. And we're going to see problems. We're going to have some problems. But in the midst of problems, we can still have peace if we stay connected in harmony with God. God wants to bring us in full and complete restoration. But the problem is there's too much pleasure in sin. People desire the pleasure of sin. People like sin. Let's be honest. Some of us have enjoyed to dabble in sin. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but you know I'm telling you the truth. Some of us have dabbled in sin and we find pleasure in it. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for what? A season. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but it's going to cost you, my friend, in the end. You dabble too long, it's going to take its toll on you. I don't want partial restoration. I want complete restoration with God. We're all fallen people. The Bible says in Romans 3, we have all what? And come of the glory of God. Every one of us have. We've all sinned and made mistakes. It does not excuse it that it makes it right because we're flesh and we're going to make mistakes, so therefore I made a mistake, it's okay. No, it's not okay. When we make mistakes, we need to confess them and be honest before God. God, I've messed up here. I've failed you here. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against your word. Forgive me. Lord, I repent. I want my heart to be right before you. God, I want to make heaven my home. So it's a dangerous thing if we love sin and the pleasure of sin that it brings to us. We must do something to make a change. We've got to make a change. This man that we read of in Luke 18, he was one of two. One was a religious man, a Pharisee. He said, I give my tithe. I give an offering. I do all these things. I'm a good guy. I do all this. Good for you. 
That's only reasonable service before God. That does not buy salvation. But the man that come to realize I've made mistakes. Jesus said this man, this publican, this sinner, this man couldn't even look up to heaven because he knew his heart wasn't right. He knew his life wasn't right. We need to be honest with ourselves. There is none of us in here that are so good. If we're not careful, we can take the attitude of that Pharisee. I do all this. I'm faithful to church. I'm faithful to my reading of my Bible. I'm faithful in this. I'm faithful in that. That's good. That's your reasonable service. Do it and keep it up. Jesus even made mention, except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. They do these things, but they're doing them for the wrong reason. The Lord says you do them too, but for the right reasons, what he's saying. Do them for the right reason, the right purpose. And so he's trying to instruct He's trying to tell us something here in this little short parable about this man. This man wanted not partial. He wanted complete restoration. To get complete restoration, we've got to have true and complete repentance. Because without true and complete repentance, you'll never find true and complete restoration with God. Let me get a little personal here. Some of you married folk are in here. Look at that spouse beside you real quick. Come on. Look at each other. Come on. It won't hurt you. Look at each other. Okay. All right. Good job. Good job. Now, since you got that, so those of you who got your spouse with you and you looked at them right beside you, if they were just a little faithful to you, would that be good enough? I think that answers the question real fast. What about God? What about God? Does he accept it if we're just a little faithful to him? I don't think so. If we don't think it's good for us in our marital relationship, then what about our Heavenly Father, who's done so much for us, and we want to give him leftovers? We want to pray when we feel like it. We want to go to church if it's convenient, and we'll read our Bible if we got the time. What's that saying? It's saying a lot of things. It's saying where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It tells us that our treasures aren't where they say, our mouth says they are. Our actions show that we're carnal. Our actions shows that we're not really loving God like we say we do. When we come to the house of God, it should be a reflection of our love for Him. It should be a time of devotion unto Him. It shouldn't be a drudgery. Oh, I got church tonight. Oh, it's Bible study. I hope Brother Rod's short tonight. I got a show I want to watch. I don't want to miss that first part of it. Shame on you. Shame on you. We're carnal. We're carnal. I know we're flesh. We're all weak. We all got flaws. We're flawed. I know that. But let's be honest tonight. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We want all the things to come to us, but we're not willing to seek God first to make it happen. We'll give God a little bit of our time when it's convenient. We can't be faithful to church. We can't be on time. We can't do the things that God would ask us to do. What's that saying? It's saying we need to get things right. And our dedication is not the way it should be. My friend, tonight, if you want to hear Jesus say, well done, you better do well. 
Because he is not going to say it as much as you and I want him to if we don't do well. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how long we've lived for God. My friend, that can be thrown out the window just like that if we let down and let go of dedication. We've got to remain close to God. And that closeness with God is determined on how much of this you're willing to get in your heart to live it, to love it, to cherish it, and to obey it. We've got to get it in our hearts. Let's move on tonight. And so we ask ourselves about this beginning in the garden. But what happened? Well, the perfection of the garden become flawed. The innocence of the garden, well, there become guilt. The completeness of the gar uh, garden, there became incompleteness. Why? Because sin broke the fellowship. Sin will break the fellowship with God. My friend, you cannot fool God. You think you fool someone, you will never fool your God. The Bible tells us that his eyes are go to and fro. He's always looking. He's looking for worshipers is what he's doing. He does not want imitators. He does not want pretenders. God's wanting worshipers. No wonder Jesus, what he said in John 4, he said to the woman at the well, for God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God does not want lip service. He wants a willing heart that will praise him. God, not, he's not wanting us just to do it because we feel we have to. God wants us to praise him because we got to want to. You know how precious that is to God when you've had such a hard day, a rough time, and you still come to church and you worship God? I heard a testimony many years ago of a woman that her daughter was sick almost to death. She had went to service that night. She couldn't do anything for her. She was in the hospital. She went to service that night, and in the service, and no doubt you've got a picture now if you was that mother, but yet she went to the house of God. She stands up and testifies of the goodness of God, and she sings, God is so good to me, I can't complain. Guess what, church? God healed the daughter. You know why? Because a mama praised God and loved God and not focused on the trouble, but focused on the solution, the answer, the great king and the mighty God. His name is Jesus. And tonight we need complete restoration. We must be set free from this sinful nature of ours. Only obedience to the word of God can make it happen. You cannot live part way for God and find complete restoration. You cannot have true fellowship with God when you want a little of the world and you want some of God. Friend, we've got to get this old heart right. We've got to be honest with ourselves before God. You're not fooling God. And let's be honest, you're not fooling yourself. And let's go to the next step. You're not fooling the preacher either. Because the Lord shows some things when they're needed. And God knows. And because God knows, and because God cares, he'll lay it upon the heart of the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist, the missionary, whoever's there speaking. He'll lay upon their heart to say something out of his love. It may hurt at times. It may even be offensive at times. But I would rather be offended and be saved 
than be comfortable and be lost. I would rather be discomforted through the Word of God and get my heart right and be ready and make heaven. See, I want complete restoration. Anybody in here tonight want complete restoration? I want complete restoration. I don't want to go through the motions. Jesus gives an excellent example of the body in restoration in the Gospel of Luke 5, 12, and 13. Let's read. And it came to pass that when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. He was full. His body was consumed. And when it says full, that means he was ate up with it, church. He was full of leprosy. Who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And the Lord having compassion, verse 13, he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. You see, God shows a physical, a bodily form of complete restoration here. He was ate up with leprosy. He was full of leprosy. But the Lord said, I will, touches him, and he's healed. The leprosy departs. Jesus yet goes further in the Gospel of Matthew 9, 2, 6, and 7, where he says, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. I love this. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Those religious people around him, who is this that can forgive sin? Does he think he's God? Oh, yeah, he didn't think it. He was and knew it. Jesus was and is God. He was God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Oh, I know him. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he said, thy sins be forgiven thee, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Verse 6, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. You see, when Jesus does it, he does it well. When Jesus does it, he makes it complete. You can take an aspirin for a headache and it may go away, but when that aspirin wears off, guess what? But when Jesus touches us, it's gone. It's gone. I remember several years ago, I worked in American Buildings Company. I don't even know. It's been long gone, Jamestown, Ohio. And when I was working there, there was a man from our church. He was my Sunday school teacher, Brother Milo. And Brother Milo, I remember, he was a faithful, still is faithful, praying man, praise, praise. What a great mentor and example he was in prayer. And I've never forgot that all my life. And it was that prayer life that meant something to me as a young man trying to get my own walk with God. I was able to look at someone who was dedicated. People need to see you dedicated. People need to see dedication. Not just with testimony of what they should do, but they want to see you doing it. I saw him doing it. I remember going to work. I worked second shift, and he was on the day shift, and it was the near end of the shift, and I had one of the most horrible headaches I can't remember. It may have been due to fasting. I, I can't remember because, you know, you're young in God, and, and you're, you're trying stuff, and, and, you know, you're going through things you've not done before, and your body's changing because you're, you're, just, you're not used to going without food. But I remember having the most horrible headache. And I remember going to Brother Milo up towards the machine when I said, Brother Milo, would you pray for me? I said, man, I, I've got a terrible head. It was so much, church, it was almost, have you ever had one that was so sick you felt like you could almost get sick in your stomach? It was that extreme. 
And I really didn't even want to be there. And I said, Brother Molly, would you please pray for me? He didn't make a big deal out of it or anything. He just simple few little words. And I go to my station. It was a half hour later, if that. I, I'm whistling everything. Don't even realize the headache's gone. It is gone. You see the power of prayer. Power of a dedicated child of God. Power of someone that's got a connection with God. You see, because they, fought, they, they found the secret. It is maintaining a complete, a complete restoration. you got to get it and maintain it. And when you do, you can ask whatever, soever you will. God is not only a hearer. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God remains faithful. So it tells us something. Jesus shows us here by example. He forgives sins. But let's go to the next level here. And I, and I, I like this. John chapter number 5, verses 5, 6, and 14. Verse 5, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Thirty-eight years this man had an infirmity in his body. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been there now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? I don't picture Jesus making a big deal out of it. In my mind, I can almost see the Lord looking down at the man laying there by the pool of Bethesda and saying, Will you be made whole? Right away, the man says, well, God, uh, well, he didn't know him as God yet. He would. Lord, uh, there's no one to lead me here. I, I, I'm brought here. I'm laid here, but I, I'm, I'm lame. And time I get up, and you see, because an angel would come and trouble the waters. When an angel would trouble the waters, the first one in the pool received their healing, whatever it was. The man had been there 38 years, church. 38 long years waiting for healing. How he did not know the healer was walking and talking with him. The healer, the great physician, was speaking to him. Will thou be made whole? Well, I don't have no one to put me in when I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get there. Someone gets in and beats me to it. And, and so right away, excuse. You know, we all can make an excuse, and some of them seem so legitimate. Some of them seem so excusable of an excuse, if I can put it that way. But they are merely excuses. The Lord would ask him for excuse. It was yes or no. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want restored? Yes or no. Do you want his blessings on your life? Yes or no. If we do, then we must be willing to do whatever our part is. He will do his part. No doubt about it. The Lord will do his part. But we must be willing to do our part. And so the man, he answers as he did, but verse, the verse of Scripture tells us that the Lord heals him. And dropping down to verse 14, it reads, After Jesus findeth him in the temple, he's healed. He's walking now. He's no longer lame. He's in the temple. And he said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Jesus said, sin no more. He was very plain and direct. He said, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And what do you suppose could be a worse thing, anybody? What could be a worse thing? 
What was that, Brother Wills? Death? Certainly. Certainly death. But I would think the worst thing would be in Revelation, in reference, chapter 2, 11, Revelation 20, verse 6 and 14, and Revelation 21 and 8, the lake of fire, the second death. Eternal damnation, the second death. You see, because Jesus, he went straight to the heart of the matter. You have sinned, you've been forgiven, you've been healed, you're walking. Now, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. There is a worse thing than even natural death, and that is the second death. That is eternal judgment and damnation. The Lord warns us. He tells us. He admonishes us. If you do the right things, if we do the right things, if we live pleasing unto God, we're obedient, we don't have to worry about a second death. But if you're one of those that like to ride the borderline fence, but if you become one of them that thinks, well, it's okay for so-and-so, so it'll be all right for me, be careful with that mentality. So-and-so is going to answer to God for themselves. If I was you, I would encourage you to find somebody that's dedicated to God. I would encourage you to find someone that's dedicated to the house of God. I would encourage you to find somebody that prays every day, not just when they have a great need or when they feel like it, it's convenient. I would encourage you to pattern your life after, like Paul said, to follow him as he followed what? Christ. Uh-huh. I encourage you to follow somebody that's living for God from their heart, not to be seen of men like the Pharisee we read about. The publican knew he was wrong. The publican knew he was a sinner. We are sinners saved by what? Grace. There is nothing good in any of us on our own. The only good there is or ever will be is God's Spirit that works in us. We've got to get the Holy Ghost. My friend, you can do good deeds all your life and be lost. Without the Spirit of Christ, we are none of His. Paul likened the Holy Ghost as a quickening agent. He said that the Holy Ghost would quicken us. What was Paul talking about? He was simply saying, my friend, when the trumpet sounds, when it comes time for the coming of the Lord, if you've got the Holy Ghost in you, and my friend, you're living holy before God, and you're doing your best to please Him, then my friend, that Holy Ghost that you have received will be the thing that will quicken you. And when the trumpet sounds, you and I are out of here. But if you've not been completely restored... You thought, I've got time, and I'm going to dilly-dally, and I'm going to have a good thing. I I I'm going to kind of take some pleasure in sin. You may wake up like Samson, missing your hair and no power. And the rapture's come, and you're left behind. That'd be a tragedy, wouldn't it, to live for God all your life, many the biggest part of your life, and because you allowed sin to enter in your heart, because you allowed things to keep you out of God's house. You allowed things to steal your dedication to God. You lost your prayer life. You've lost your dedication to God. And because of that, the Lord comes and you're left behind. Several years ago, a movie came out several years ago called A Thief in the Night. Anybody ever remember that movie? Called A Thief in the Night. And I remember a song on it, and it says, and it stayed with me all this time. I wish we'd all been ready. I wish we'd all been ready. The sun has come and you've been left behind. I wish we'd all been 
ready. You see, complete restoration will make us ready. And we stay close to God, we'll be ready. That's why we can't play church. That's why we can't be haphazard in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be sincere in our hearts and in our actions. I've heard too many people say, but you don't know my heart. No, I don't, but God does. But I can see your actions. And your fruit does not bear what you say your heart says. Our lives bear fruit whether you realize it or not. They bear fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. And because of that, he will prune us. We become purged. Why? Because he wants more fruit from our lives. The only way we'll ever have fruit and bear fruit for him is because we've been completely restored. I'm trying to press on time, I know, so bear with me. Pressing on about this complete restoration, I think it's, it's vital that we understand that we've got to have an inward cleansing, and that inward cleansing comes through repentance and baptism. You know, Jesus rebuked some religious men in the Gospel of Matthew 23, 26 through 28. He said, verse 26, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye like unto whitewashed sepulchres. Indeed, you appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You're full of sin. Jesus says that inward man's got to be cleansed. It can be cleansed only by true repentance and being born again. This will help bring that outward cleansing that will then follow. Once again, going back to what we said, people will make the comment about how they dress or how they talk or the places they go. You don't know my heart. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. If our heart's right, our actions are going to follow right too. They surely will. I remember what Brother Willis often has quoted, that bitter water and sweet water, mm -mm. either you're bitter because you got a bitter well, or you're sweet because you got a sweet well. My friend, they don't mix and they will never mix. How many's ever heard that saying about a bushel? It only takes one bad apple. And it will contaminate the whole bushel. If you don't separate that rotted apple, it will begin to decay others around it. If we allow sin to have its way in our lives, we not only decay, but we decay those around us. And we become not only our own ruin, we'll ruin them that are dear to us. That's why we've got to shine for Him. That's why we've got to apply ourselves for Him. And I'll tell you, church, I can't do this on my own ability. I cannot. But I find this, 
the more I get in here, the more I try my best to live by it. I find I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll never do it on my own, neither will you. But you've got to stay committed. You've got to be dedicated. You've got to stay consecrated to the Lord. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, Jesus speaks to a man who comes to him. John 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. We've all had that natural birth. We've been born. But the Lord is saying, you've got to have another birth. And that is a spiritual birth. That spiritual birth, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2-38, and declares to them, then Peter said unto them, repent. Ask forgiveness. Be honest before God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Don't you know God wants you to be full and complete? Don't you know God wants to free you from your sin? Don't you know God loves you enough? He went to Calvary to buy you for a ransom. He gave himself for us at Calvary. What a tragedy it would be. What a shame it would be to not take full advantage of the sacrifice for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a tragedy it would be that we forsook that great opportunity that we all have. We all have a great opportunity to make heaven our home and be saved. Friend, remember, good works by themselves. Nah, it won't do it. Kindness by itself. No, it won't do it. Being obedient to the Word of God by the letter, even by itself, won't do it. We've got to have a heart change that only the blood of Jesus Christ can make about to happen. His blood must cover us and wash us from all of our sins. And then he promises us, as we quoted what Peter said, the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is a true gift, a wonderful gift. And the Apostle Paul speaks about this also in Romans 6, 3 through 8. Know you not that so many of us that were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him in baptism unto death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we should walk how? In the newness of life. Not like we used to walk. Walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. He's been put under the blood. And the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. 
Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. You see, the Apostle Paul went on to say that a born-again experience, it is the obedience to God's word. It enables us for what is to come next. What is to come next? 1 Corinthians 15, 50-54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood, it can't do it. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's going to be a new body. There's going to be a new body. Let's read on. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised. How? Incorruptible. That old body that is decayed is going to put on a new body that's incorruptible. Mm, I love it. We shall not, hey, listen, he says here, we shall be what? Changed. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death will be conquered in victory. Oh, my friend, tonight that excites me because I know something great is on the horizon. This world's in a mess. This world's in a turmoil. But my Jesus is getting ready to return. He's getting ready to come for his bride. A trumpet, my friend, is about to be sounded. I believe the angel of God stands waiting in attention waiting for his command to be given to him to blow the trumpet that will wake the very dead and those of us who are alive and yet remain we're going to be caught up to meet them in the air oh my friend we've got much to rejoice about but we've got to become completely restored we must be restored Philippians 3.21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Oh, he's going to do it. I don't understand it, but I read it and believe with all of my heart. For with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. James 4.8, in conclusion tonight, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get your heart right. Get focused on what it's about. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I've got some treasure laid up somewhere. Anybody got some treasure laid up somewhere tonight? Oh, I've got some treasure laid up in that heavenly home. That's what it's all about. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. 
You see complete spiritual restoration. Luke 18, 13, the publican. His words, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus in verse 14 says, this man went down to his house justified. He went down to his house justified. What are you trying to tell me, Brother Rod? Well, if you want complete restoration, quit being like the Pharisee and say how good you are. I'm wretched without my God. I am nothing, church, without God. And my goodness at best is like filthy rags in the sight of my God. My righteousness stinks on my own. I'll never make heaven on my own ability. But I'll tell you what I'm going to try to do with the best of my ability. I'm going to rely upon the grace of my God. I'm going to try to live my life the best I know how according to His Word. I'm going to try to seek Him every day the rest of my life and let Him know how much I love Him, how much I need Him, how much I desire Him, and I want Him more than anything in this whole world. I want Jesus more than anything in this world. And when He comes back, guess who He's going to come back for? Them that have been crying to Him every day. Them that have been calling on Him every day. Them that have been faithful to Him every day. My friend, God is looking for you to become complete in Him. He wants to restore you. But are you willing to place yourself upon his wheel. The master potter will reform, reshape, remake, and renew you who are a broken vessel. What he has done for me, he will do for you. What he has done for you, he'll do for somebody else. But you got to jump on the master potter's wheel. you got to want that change. you got to want it more than anything. As I'm closing tonight, if you want this world... You'll never make heaven your home. You'll never make heaven your home. I want to make heaven my home. I enjoy my time here. I enjoy the things God has given me here. I enjoy to go out and fish from time to time. I enjoy to do things. But those are immaterial to me. The most priceless thing is our time we spend at the throne of God on our bended knees. When he comes back, he's going to come for them that have made themselves ready. If you're left behind, there's no one to blame but you. If you're left behind, there'll be no one to blame but you. Would you pray with me?